The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 198. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Physician, that's wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Lodger. Joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Father Corey wasn't able to make it today, so it'll be just the two of us, uh, but he'll be back next time. I'm sure he'll be sorry to miss this one. I know I enjoy this one, but uh, we'll we'll see how you like it, Jimmy, in a second. But uh, first, Mm -hmm. I want to tell folks, be sure to subscribe to The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, in your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. So, uh, yeah, this is a uh, the 11th episode of the 11th Doctor's first season, so it's 11-11, and uh, they make a, uh, there's a, there's an Easter egg in this one, I think, to, uh, that refers to that being the 11th episode for the 11th Doctor, but we'll, we can, again, we'll get, we'll get to that. I know what you're thinking of. <laughs> yeah. There's another Easter egg pointing backwards to the Vincent Van Gogh episode we just had. Yes, that too. Yep, yep. We'll reveal all as we go along, too. But this features James Corden, as American audiences will know him from the late show, the the late, late show. I can never, I can, can't keep oh, them all yeah. straight. Oh, yeah. He's he's got a late night show on American TV now, uh, very popular. He did the he does the carpool karaoke and stuff like that. He's very very affable, very popular on TV now. But back then, he was relatively unknown in 2010, at least here in the U.S. For a while, wasn't he like the second banana on another late night show to another uh, comedian who had a late night show? He might have. I, I'll be honest, I don't generally watch them. Uh, it's been a long time since I've watched Leno or Letterman or McCra- or. Or Johnny Carson, but uh, mm-hmm. he might have been. It's been a long time since anyone watched Johnny Carson. Uh, well, yes, I, I have fond memories, though. I think Johnny was mm-hmm. well. It's the whole the secrets of late night TV is a whole other thing. But uh, Johnny yeah. was one of the best. I always remember him fondly. I still watch the clips on YouTube. But James Corden, yeah, he. It's interesting that he, at the time in 2010, he and Matt Smith were actually friends. That's how we got uh-huh. all, got the got the bit. So they were oh. they were pals, and apparently they'd had lots of antics on set, which no surprise to me, frankly. <laughs> There's some uh, behind the scenes uh, footage uh, from the time of them doing their pranks and gags online. There's another behind the scenes aspect to this one because it's it's an adaptation of another story. Yep, just like the episode Dalek was an adaptation of a Big Finish production. This, mm-hmm. it, The Lodger, is an adaptation of a comic story, meaning an illustrated story, mm-hmm. from Doctor Who magazine back in 2006. Right. 
originally, so it was by the same author, Gareth Roberts. And when Stephen Moffat became showrunner, he liked it so much, the, the original comic book version, that he contacted Gareth Roberts and said, we're going to do The Lodger now, right. now that he was showrunner. And so they adapted it. It obviously didn't feature Matt Smith since his character hadn't been created yet. Instead, it was about the 10th Doctor, uh, so David Tennant's Doctor, mm-hmm. getting stranded when the TARDIS takes off with Rose. Just okay. like the TARDIS takes off with Amy here. He gets stranded in London when the TARDIS takes off with Rose, and he goes to Jackie's house, and she's busy <laughs> in her own unique way. Yes. So he ends up lodging with Mickey. Oh, my. <laughs> and so you have a lot of domestic comedy, which was more the angle. They apparently played up the danger in the TV version. Right. And the danger was a little different in the comic book version, but it was you still have the situation of the doctor, you know, in a domestic situation and being kind of a fish out of water. You know, I can imagine this in different forms. Like, wouldn't it be fun to see this as the 12th doctor and Danny Pink lodging up for a while? That mm-hmm, would have been, sure. That would have been fun and interesting, too. I can imagine Capaldi in, uh, <laughs> in that situation. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's it's a it's sort of a classic fish out of water or, or Tom, Tom Baker and the Brigadier. <laughs> no, that that would be interesting. The, the hanging out, like taking people out of their professional situation and putting them in this mundane everyday situation. That's and I think that's what makes this story kind of stand out. It, mm-hmm. And we see Moffat will will revisit this idea uh, a couple times in his his term. We'll see it next season. With the little black boxes, I forget what the episode title is. Power of Three. Power of Three, right, right, right. And uh, so where where the Doctor has to hang out in the domestic situation of Amy and Rory. Uh, so it uh, so they, they they like to revisit that, and it, it highlights the the outlandishness and the alienness of the Doctor by taking him out of his usual outlandish situations and putting him into a normal everyday thing. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I I do like that. This, so this is also a companion light episode. So we yep. don't. We don't have a lot of Amy in this one, although it's sort of like Midnight, where Donna was not at all present, almost, except for the very beginning, the very end. This one, we do get Amy at at bits in, in the middle. Yeah. She keeps showing up. But she's she's effectively sidelined for the plot. Right. She Her function is to be the damsel in distress in the castle that can't land. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and as you alluded to, so it starts with the TARDIS landing in the town of Colchester, which is... Uh, northeast of London, for for those of you who are not familiar with British geography. Although, if you're a fan of uh, Secrets of Doctor Who, it behooves you to become more familiar. I mean, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, uh, become more familiar with uh, British uh, uh, geography. That's where Caractacus was from, wasn't it? Car- which one is Caractacus? Caractacus was the uh, king of the uh, a, a British king in the time in the first century AD BC. That time frame, he ended up. Mm-hmm. Getting captured and going to and being taken to Rome, but they thought he was so brave that they gave him a pension. <laughs> and he also had a play written about him by Shakespeare. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that I'm not as familiar with. Them, but I that's... think he was from Colchester. Yeah. At least I know. I remember they set up a temple to Claudius in Colchester, if I recall hmm. correctly. It's in Essex, which was one of the, the Wessex was one of the original. Uh, kingdoms that that eventually formed england but uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, 
I know it because it's just east of the, the, the British city of Braintree, which is a funny name to most people, Braintree. Oh, but, but uh, there's one in Massachusetts. There's, li- there's one literally a mile away from me. That's where yeah. I live. I live on the, in the town next to Braintree. So we, I looked it up. I needed like, where does the name Braintree come from? And so we, we looked it up in um, River Brand thing, thing, something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's, again, off the, <laughs> off the path. So the TARDIS lands in Colchester, and the doctor sticks his head out and talks to Amy, although we don't see her, and suddenly he's ejected from the TARDIS, and it dematerializes suddenly with uh, yeah. away from him. So we have TARDIS and companion separation at the same moment for once. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, and Amy is still on board, uh, and at first doesn't realize she's alone, and then looking around like, Doctor? Doctor? And he, and he's gone. And she, so she's alone with the TARDIS in flight, which is uh, it would be pretty scary. Especially with the showers of sparks. Yeah, that would be pretty scary. <laughs> yes, and that console, which doesn't look like... <laughs> uh, we get to a part where he has to tell her how to operate the console. is really bizarre. But then we switch to a day later. It says on the screen, you know, one day later. Uh, we see some row houses in in, uh, in Colchester. And this, this man, this guy, young man, walking down the street past it. And he hears an old man calling to him from an intercom on the door of... What is it? 79 Aikman... Uh, road, I think it is. And he, the old man is calling out, uh, help, there's been an accident. Can you help me? And so the young man, being the helpful sort, uh, he, he's buzzed in and sees the old man at the top of the stairs and goes in. I don't know whether they, they messed this up or whether I got mixed up, but is 79B the upstairs, right? I think it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> okay. Because at one point, I think they switched them so it's like 79A downstairs and 79B upstairs. But at some point, they, they switch the labels around on screen or something like that. It was very confusing uh, for me trying to keep track. But uh, That was below my threshold of caring. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I get into the details. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, he goes upstairs, the door shuts, and uh, strange noises ensue. And he's not going to be the only one. Over the course of this episode, the house is going to lure in multiple different people using different voices and images yeah. and so forth. Usually ones that are appropriate to perhaps to the person, you know, so it's a, for a, a motherly type that's a young girl, you know, that sort of thing. So it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting how they do that. Then we meet Sophie and Craig. Uh, Craig lives downstairs in 79. And he's Jim Gordon. Yep. James Gordon is, the, is, is Craig. And Sophie, I'm not sure the actress's name, but so they are friends. It turns out that they're friends who aren't, they're not, so they're not dating, but we find out fairly quickly that they both secretly like each other and they're, they're afraid to tell each other for fear of ruining the friendship. Well, they are dating. They're just in denial about that fact. <laughs> uh, their, their idea, yes. I mean, their plan to hang out every, apparently every night is pizza booze telly. Yes, yes. So every night they're getting together, having pizza, drinking some wine or whatever, and watching television. They are a married couple without the marriage. <laughs> That's right. Well, and uh, the, it, this is essentially me and Melanie uh, in our first uh, year together, or mm-hmm. let's say six months uh, together, where we spent all our time together, but we weren't dating, mm-hmm. as, as, far as, as far as Melanie knew. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in, in dating, but she wasn't quite yet. She was still thinking of going to... Uh, get her doctorate. Uh, thankfully, mm. I put the kibosh on that, and uh, so that's uh, I've deflected her future. But Craig, meanwhile, is looking for a roommate to replace, and so this is a a key 
a factor but in the I think doctor. Maybe becoming... she chose to reevaluate what she wanted to do. <laughs> well, that's that's a nice way of putting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Craig is looking for a roommate, and uh, and there's also just to sort of set the stage. There's a stain on the ceiling. It looks like a water stain that keeps growing, um, and there's all kinds of noises from upstairs. One thing I noticed here at this point, whenever we have the Craig and Sophie together, perhaps, you know, we mm-hmm. get the Murray Gold th- music that he plays, the composer. It's, it sounds a lot like the eventual Clara theme. I don't know if mm. I, I like to pay attention to the music. And the music here sounds like a, a sort of a nascent version of that, which is very interesting. I, I, oh. I, really, I really like the Clara theme, so I, I noticed this. What I noticed is the way that uh, Craig and Sophie are both hinting to each other uh, yep. uh, that they want a romantic relationship, and neither one's picking up on the other's hints. Oh, so frustrating. <laughs> but they couldn't make it more clear, because at one point, when Sophie's getting ready to go to work, and I forget the exact context, but Craig says something about her maybe getting a boyfriend or something. Otherwise, you'll have to settle for me. Yeah. And then she says, oh, you'd have to settle for me first. Like, and it's oh, like, ha, ha, ha. okay, you've <laughs> just made overtures to each other. Connect the dots. <laughs> oh, those insecurities. So, uh, but this is actually the point where we see the first of those Easter eggs we mentioned, which is on Craig's fridge is a postcard advertising the Van Gogh exhibit from the last episode, The Doctor and Vincent, which is, which was a, a nice little nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hears the doorbell. He thinks it's Sophie forgetting her keys. And this is kind of the the funny thing is like now, this is when he resolves to be that to, to be uh, to get some steel in his spine and say I love you to her, uh, which is kind of a dramatic opening line if you're beginning a relationship. Yes, it is. And perhaps he's lucky that he didn't actually start with that. So as he opens the door, he says I love you, and it's the doctor, of course, who says uh, I like you too, uh, but I hardly know you. And uh, he says, uh, I'm the new lodger. And because uh, Craig had advertised for the apartment in a local shop uh, with, you know, on a bulletin board. And so the doctor shows up with that. And then we'll find out why he knew to go to this place in the end. But it has to do with time travel. Spoilers. Well, we, we yeah, eventually we find it, it's not a big spoiler. <laughs> I know. Amy has signed the note and drawn an arrow on it indicating to the doctor that this is where he should lodge. So at yes. some point in the future, Amy Amy modifies Craig's advertisement so that the doctor knows to go there. Right. And I love what he does when he gets there. He's it he's getting to be his comic playful self. Right. He has like a ba- a brown paper bag and hands it to Craig and says, "Here, have some rent." <laughs> yes. Is it's that like, a lot? It looks like a lot. I can never tell. <laughs> it's like three thousand pounds or something, and the, and the rent is like four hundred a month. So yeah, yeah. Like, um, I I I found it interesting. By the way, the ad, the the ad has some Britishisms in it that I wasn't quite sure of. Um, let's see, uh, one furnished room available Im- immediately, shared kitchen, bathroom, four hundred pound PCM. So I'm not sure what PCM is per calendar month. Suit young professionals. So uh, suitable for young professional, I guess, is the... But the mm-hmm. PCM threw me. Anyway, if... And the doctor does allude to not him not quite being a young professional, but close enough. Yeah, he says more like an old amateur. <laughs> yeah. So, but he, in his usual way, he barges in, talks through Craig, uh, comes right in. He shows him his references on the psychic paper, including one from the Archbishop of Canterbury. 
<laughs> which I thought that was funny. I'm a special, special one, I think he says. Um, the prior roommate left suddenly a month ago, Craig says, when he received a large inheritance from an uncle he never knew. And the doctor says, oh, imagine that. I, I, get, I get the hint that that was arranged. Yeah, like the doctor, after all this is over, traveled back in time to give th- yeah. that lucky fellow a nice <laughs> inheritance. From an <laughs> uncle who didn't exist. Yes, yes. And then uh, the doctor starts cooking for Craig. And well, if you remember the-, the- and, and as this as that's happening, and he's making what looks like a mess- Yes. Of, I mean, he says he's making an omelet, and it's that is not how you make an omelet. No. <laughs> that is how you make bizarre scrambled eggs. Right. <laughs> but as he, as he's starting to do that, Craig is talking to him, and he's got Craig talking about his feelings for Sophie and his job and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And Craig is like, why am I even telling you this stuff? And the doctor has a great line. He says, I've got one of those faces. People never stop blurting out their plans when I'm around. <laughs> and with all the villains who've been monologuing around him, yeah, people never stop blurting out their plans around the doctor. Davros just loves his face. <laughs> so we we get a, an image of the TARDIS trying to materialize again, but again, it won't stay. It won't stop. It's sort of in this loop. And we find out that the doctor and Amy are in communication through this earpiece that we've seen the doctor wearing. Uh, although it's encrypted, so he's he he says that anyone listening in will only hear gibberish, and so then we see from Craig's point of view, he's kind of listening at the wall. Practical eruption in chicken, Descartes Lombardy spiral. <laughs> which, which I'm not sure that makes it any less suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Also, we have something in this scene that we don't normally have, which is sonic separation, because yep. the doctor it, now Amy is tired of being stuck on the TARDIS. And throughout the episode, she's like, Doctor, just if you know that the thing that's keeping the TARDIS from landing is on the second floor of this house, just go up there and sort it out. Right. And he's he consistently refuses to do that because he says, whatever could stop the TARDIS from landing is incredibly dangerous, and I don't want to go up and there and get myself killed. I don't even want to trip the attention of whatever is up there, so I can't use advanced technology like my sonic screwdriver. Right. So we've we've got sonic separation here, effectively. Yes. I thought, given the number of times that this happens in the episode, that I'm kind of with Amy. It's like, just go up there and get this done. <laughs> right. But they need him not to for the sake of the plot. And so it's like, right. okay, I, I can kind of give it. But it, it does... It it did wear on me a little bit, you know, some of the, some of his, it's like, why aren't you taking more active steps? Right. You know, I should see you doing something to address this. Right. And he does build a thing, which we'll get to, but um, yeah. a little E.T. contraption. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, you're right. It's, it, he's much more passive than he usually is. Even in the face of superior technology, he's usually not this passive. So it, it's sort of artificial uh, yeah. the way they've done it. So that night, we have another one of the victims, uh, a crying woman walking past. And I thought it was very interesting. They they were kind of subtle about this, because it's going to turn out that all the people who are called inside are people who are thinking of going away, or thinking of leaving, or thinking of um, departing in some fashion. Hmm. And so we have this young woman who's crying. I thought they were just walking by. Well, we, we found at the end that the reason it, it doesn't take Craig, for instance, is Craig doesn't oh, want to right. go anywhere. I, okay, sure. Yeah. And so 
this woman is she's crying. She's like she's been in a fight with somebody or her boyfriend or her husband and is leaving him or has broken up with somebody. And I think that's the the trigger. But they don't come right out and blast us in the face with it. It's it's subtle. And I mm-hmm. I, I like I appreciate subtlety. Uh, so that, that would that also explain good. why Craig can safely live downstairs. It never yes. tries to take him. And why once Sophie makes the decision to go work with orangutans, yep. it suddenly takes her, even though she's been there lots of times. Exactly, because she wasn't going anywhere before that. So so the doctor determines that it's a localized time loop that's still affecting the TARDIS, because he starts to see people repeating themselves and really... Well, before that, he sees hands of clocks going bizarrely yes. around, and I'm going, eh... <laughs> If there was a time loop, it would be affecting people and not just clocks. Right, right. Well, we and we do see it eventually affect people, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess you could say it would have affected people if there were people in the room, but not the doctor because he's a time traveler and, a not, right. and an anomaly and stuff like that. But And of course, is it affecting the entire planet because people are getting, would be getting out of sync with the rest of the world? Anyway, it's the time travel thing, so you gotta, you got to mm-hmm. kind of take it with a grain of salt. I like how in this episode, the doctor is, he's socially awkward, but in ways that he isn't normally. Like when he greets people from the 20th century, like he does yeah. this with, with Craig, he does this with Karen. He does this modified double kiss on the cheek air kisses. Yeah. Because you know, that's he'll what put we do, his, right? <laughs> he'll, put, he'll put his head on one side and do an air kiss and then put his head on the other side of the person's head and do another air kiss without even turning his face towards them. It's just in the air. Right. And because it's a double cheek kiss, it has kind of a European feel, but it's also, I mean, a kind of a continental feel. Yeah. But it also is bizarre because it's just in the air without turning your face towards anybody. <laughs> right. And he's like, as you said, Dom, it's like, oh, that's how we greet each other now, isn't it? And right. nobody corrects him. They just kind of let him do it. But <laughs> it's like, I, I could see how this is some custom from some other time. And he's getting just getting it confused with, we do it right. now, right? I, I do love that it, it sort of takes advantage, like the, the, the show takes advantage of the polite, the, the polite turning away from people who are slightly strange. That mm-hmm. we do, and it's and and I think it's sort of a stereotype of the British is that we 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 try to uh, pretend that the strangeness isn't present here uh, in front of us. Yeah, and and uh, and I think that's what kind of what makes us effective is, is like Craig is like, oh, you're kind of strange, you're kind of weird, but you can cook, and you know. But we when the doctor does these weird things, we're, they're all kind of like, ha ha, and uh, we'll just move on from that, you know, and just politely, and it's very, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to see them develop that. Yeah. Oh, uh, that we should mention, uh, even though the doctor was making a hash of an omelet, literally. Yes. It apparently was awesome. And that's <laughs> yeah. what that's what convinced Craig to let the doctor stay, was how awesome he can cook. <laughs> so the doctor, as we mentioned, the doctor builds this contraption out of junk in his, in, in his room in order to, as a uh, substitute for the Sonic, as a sensor. Because it's it's low tech enough that the aliens won't detect it. Yeah, it's the as we later learn, it's the non technology technology from this planet somewhere. Yes, which he referenced in a previous episode 
Um, but that's the only time, oh, two times it's ever been mentioned in Doctor Who. Although we have seen similar things. I mean, the third Doctor once built a contraption out of 20th century junk. Then, yes. You know, this is so... The Doctor can find improbable things and put them together to do even more improbable things. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, we have the scene of the Doctor in, in the shower and Craig going up to the door upstairs and the Doctor realizing too late that Craig is going. And so he comes running out in a towel to rescue Craig. The, the whatever it is upstairs doesn't take Craig, for as we mentioned, because he doesn't, we, we find out later because he's not leaving. And at this point, he's he thinks he's going to have to use the Sonic to save Craig, and it's in the toothbrush holder in the bathroom. For and he's, reasons. Yeah, for reasons. And he gets to open his eyes, and so he grabs instead Craig's electric toothbrush and is about to attack the, you know, defend him from the alien, wearing a towel and holding an electric toothbrush. And this is when uh, Sophie walks in and <laughs> meets the doctor in just a towel. So th that was uh, a bit of a funny um, farce there. The uh, then we have more of the regular bloke fitting in. Craig's football team, uh, soccer to you Americans, is down a man. His uh, their fellow uh, football players in Malta. So the doctor has to fill in and wears. And this is the other Easter egg I was mentioning. Wears a shirt with the number eleven on it. Of course, yeah, <laughs> and, on the back. So the the doctor doesn't know really anything about the sport, but of course he's great at it, which brings to mind Black Orchid. Okay. And the fifth doctor oh, who... well, you mean just the fact it involves cricket. Well, the doctor uh, shanghaied into playing uh, a sport at the last minute uh, mm -hmm. and and being great at it. I thought that mm -hmm. was kind of an interesting parallel. Although in that case, the doctor was clearly a cricket fan, and this wouldn't have been new yes. to him. That's although, right. Although, as the master points out in one big Finnish audio dealing with the doctor that Peter Davison's doctor dressed like nobody in the history of cricket ever, <laughs> because <laughs> it's right. not a not a straight cricket costume. That's right. That's right. But uh, this is a, so. This is something that I found annoying, especially when I the first time I watched this. Now, overall, I like this episode a lot. I really like Craig. Yeah, and I really like Sophie, and I really like their interactions, and I like the comedy from Matt Smith. But part of this episode is the Doctor waltzes into Chris into Craig's life and is super awesome at everything and yeah. better and more together than Craig at everything. And so he's, he, even though he's never played rugby before or football before, or soccer, I guess. It's not rugby, soccer. it's soccer. Yeah. Even though he's never played soccer before, he just comes in and is instantly awesome at it, and he's doing st stuff like stealing Craig's own kick. There's a right. moment where, where Craig is supposed to be the one to kick the ball, and the doctor just runs up and steals the kick. And even if you are super talented new guy, that's just rude. That's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's not just going to be here. He's going to be better at, at Chris's job than Chris is. At Craig, I keep saying Chris. Yeah. And they that plays sort of a role in the plot, but it's not quite to my taste. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather them dial that back. So apparently the, the, the inclusion of of football soccer in this episode was uh, this script was written before they were going they had cast Matt Smith and so and the reason I said that is because 
Matt Smith apparently almost became a professional footballer before he went into acting, but got injured and instead instead became an actor, Mm. which I frankly, that seems like nearly every other famous British guy I hear about was going to become a professional footballer and instead went and did something else. Like Gordon Ramsay was going to be a, was it was going to be a professional footballer, but then became a chef because he got injured. And I'm like, there's like, is this kind of like every kid wants to be a baseball player? <laughs> have to or, wonder sometimes. or a football player, depending on what part of the country you're in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. American I just thought it was football. American football. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's yeah, I think it's kind of funny. Um, so we have a third woman uh, or third person, a second woman who's called into the flat this time by a little girl. Oh, oh by the way, there's one one other bit I wanted to note. Just on the dialogue level, at the football game, they're so uh, Craig's teammates are so impressed by the doctor yes. that they want him to join them for another game in a week's time. <laughs> yeah, and they say we're going to be, and he agrees, and they they say we're going to be playing the so and sos, and we'll annihilate them. And the doctor is like, no, no violence, not on my watch, not while I'm around. I'm the doctor. I'm the oncoming storm, and you just meant defeat them in a. Another game, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, that was pretty funny. Like the doctor goes, okay, dial it back a notch there, doctor. <sighs> <laughs> While they're at the still at the park, the, the a time loop starts happening uh, because we've seen this woman go into the into the flat upstairs, and that's so these time loops seem to be occurring about this at the same time as people going into the flat. And so the, the doctor rushes off. So then we 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 go to uh, Craig and Sophie are having a night in booze telly pizza uh, pizza booze telly pizza booze telly. It's in that order. You start with the pizza, you drink the booze, you, and you watch the telly, and you watch yeah. the telly. Yes. So there, and the, the Craig has you know asked the doctor to kind of you know stay give them some space, and uh, the doctor obviously has no idea what that means, and ends up barging in. Yeah, but Craig has finally worked up his courage to yes to broach you know their relationship with each other and so that's and they're like working up to a kiss when the doctor barges in and that's part of the comedy but what i really like about this scene and about sophie and craig together and this episode more generally is how affectionately and nicely it treats with exceptions i've noted it portrays normal people yeah because one of the constant tensions in doctor who right from episode one is the tension between the ordinary represented by ian and barbara Mm -hmm. and the extraordinary represented by the doctor susan and the tardis and so how do you balance the ordinary and the extraordinary in doctor who in new who I think there has been an unfortunate tendency, starting with Rose, and by that I mean the episode Rose, Mm -hmm. to portray the ordinary as drab and dreary and unworth one's while and something to be escaped. Right. Not just a particular person's life is that way, but everybody's ordinary life is that way. Right. And I mean, like Ace had a bad, rough upbringing. Of course, one would want to escape that. Yeah. But Rose didn't have a bad, rough upbringing. She had an ordinary upbringing. And she and it's just so not worth it because the doctor is so much better and so much 
more awesome and 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 it it in in order to build up the doctor we have ordinary people run down from right. a narrative perspective including Jackie and Mickey and all their colleagues and so forth and that's what we don't have here even though Craig and Sophie are comic figures yep there's nothing wrong with them being ordinary there's nothing wrong with them enjoying their company and having pizza booze telly and and it, yep. it, you know they genuinely care about each other and they're not dysfunctional in an other than comedic way right they they're healthy human beings right and now somebody might say, well, the doctor here sort of runs down ordinariness and encourages Sophie to run off. But I think it's different. It's subtler than Oh, that. He's, he's using reverse psychology on her. Yeah. Because Sophie's like, hey, you know, life can seem pointless. Work weekend, work weekend. And, you know, there's uh, six billion people on the planet doing that. And the doctor says, well, you know, what do you really want to do? Uh, and she says, oh, I, I want to look after animals, maybe abroad. And I saw the sanctuary, orangutan sanctuary on the television. And, you know, he says, what's stopping you? Oh, you need qualifications. Or Craig does. You know, oh, she can't. She needs loads of qualifications. He doesn't want her to go. Again, this is Melanie wanting to get her doctorate in English. And, uh, oh, you, you'd never succeed. No, I didn't actually say that. But he says, perhaps you'll just have to stay here, secure, a little bit miserable, till the day you drop. Better than trying and failing, right? And Sophie's like, you think I'd fail? And he's, everybody's got dreams, Sophie. Very few are going to achieve them. So why pretend? And uh, perhaps in the whole wide universe, a call center is about where you should be. And she gets mad. That's horrible. Why would you say that? Well, is it true? Of course it's not true. And he smiles at her. Uh, yeah. You know, I, so, I can do anything I want. And he's just encouraging her to to fulfill her potential, but not saying that your life is terrible. Right. And there's he's even playing a deeper game than that. Because by getting her to confront her dreams, he's forcing Craig to confront his dreams. Right. And he, he tells... Sophie, work out what's keeping you here. Right. And he's and the the real thing is Craig is what's keeping her here. He just yes. needs to get off the dime before he loses her. <laughs> right. Um and the doctor is even dropping hints to the two of them when she mentions the 6 billion people on the planet. It's like one wonders where the, the doctor says, "Uh, I I begin to wonder where they all come from." <laughs> yeah, looking at you, you two. Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh so we so Sophie uh, takes off. She she goes home, and uh, there, there's a scene where they kind of she's like, "Well, should I do what he what he's saying?" And and Craig says, "Oh, you, sure, you know, of course, you, you should do see the world." And he kind of encourages her. Yeah, and it's really hard for me to remember what's said in this scene. Yeah, because it's fra it's filmed in this dim hallway, and it's framed in <laughs> such a way that you have Sophie on the left and Craig on the right. And in between them, there is a picture on the wall of the weirdest looking dude ever. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, why I, is that there? I, I'm just <laughs> fixated on this picture, and I'm going, who is that supposed to be? It's kind of <laughs> like Shakespeare, but not. And no, it's no. like some H.P. Lovecraft shadow over Innsmouth version of Shakespeare or something. It's very weird. <laughs> And I'm like going on the TARDIS Wikia page for this episode and searching on picture and painting and trying to identify who this is because it just looks so strange. That's 
got to be an ironic Easter egg of some kind. It's yeah, it, it's so prominent that somebody put it there for a purpose. I, and I, it's funny that no one has no one has come forward on that. So the doctor has warned Craig, don't touch the the dry rot or the the, the stain on the ceiling and yeah. wall of the apartment. He has warned before. Chekhov's don't touch the dry rot warning. Yeah, it's like talking to a toddler because uh, what does Craig do? He touches it. He gets zapped. He gets poisoned. And he's dying. Like the doctor actually has to restart his heart and treats him with a mass amounts of of like very tea. strong tea, uh, which the doctor took at one point too to treat himself for something recently. I, I seem to recall. And uh, so Craig's like, "No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be late for an important meeting at work, and the, don't worry about it. You'll they'll be fine." And so Craig goes back to sleep and then wakes up like four and a half hours later. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. And freaks out, I have to be there. And he runs into the office, I'm sorry I'm so late. And the boss has said, well, you're lucky, uh, we've got someone new. And he turns around, and of course, the doctor is working the phones in the call center. And it, it turns out the doctor had attended the big planning meeting that Craig was going to attend and presented yep. Craig's business model. This was a right. thing earlier. He said he thought that the job was going to, the, the call center was going to go under because the boss's business model was rubbish, and he had an alternative that would be much better, but he just didn't have the nerve to tell the boss his business model is wrong, and here's how he ought to do it. So the doctor has stepped in and done that, and the results have been awesome for uh, for, Craig, uh, for Craig, because yes. the boss is on board with the new business model now, and they're getting rid of problematic customers that they've had before, and there's a bright new vista opening up for this business, and everything's just great, so Chris can go back home and feel inadequate. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is, Craig doesn't Craig. say that. Keeps, why am I saying Chris all the time? <laughs> I, I don't know. Chris Elliott? Uh, so C Craig, he sees this as the doctor. He doesn't see it as a, as a win for himself. He sees this as the doctor supplanting him and undermining him. And in in this scene, Sophie comes up and says, I took the doctor's advice and I I volunteered for this orangutan sanctuary. And I'm leaving uh, soon. And he's and he kind of like, oh, that's great. Great, great, great. He's like distracted by this, the, the, the doctor problem and the work problem and sort of just pushes her off and, of course, harms his standing with Sophie at this point. And so the Craig has had it. This is the point where he's had it. He goes back to the apartment. Barges into the doctor's room, sees the weird spinning gizmo that is uh, on top of the bed. Yeah, and and it's got it's got like a a wooden paddle and an umbrella and a bunch of other yeah. odds and ends. Yes, uh, he sees the doctor come in, and the doctor's talking to a cat on the stairs about what's going on upstairs because the doctors can talk to cats. And he, so he's had it, and he tells the doctor, "I want you to go. It's been the weirdest three days of my life, and I can't take it anymore." And so the doctor has to take drastic measures to salvage his situation. So he, he fills two, Craig in on everything through a he telepathic headbutt. Two, two telepathic <laughs> headbutts. First, general background that lets him know he's a time lord and we get to see faces of previous incarnations. Yes. And this is where he identifies for the first time that he's the 11th incarnation. Yes. And he does it. it, it previously, that had not been officially established. And so it created some interesting issues that led ultimately to the war doctor and the timeless child. Right. But previously, he, he had not been established as the 11th incarnation. And then he gives him a second headbutt for specific detail, and Craig has visions of the TARDIS landing, but then taking off with Amy in it, 
and right. stuff like that. And, and it's played for comedies. Is like this yes. is incredibly painful for both of them. Craig is suddenly <laughs> suddenly like you're you're a yes I know, <laughs> and and Craig keeps blurting out stuff about oh and you're using the non technology technology of planet so and so, and and the doctor meanwhile is in pain and it's like I am never ever ever doing that again. <laughs> and, which is which is hanging a lantern on it because it's such an unusual way to make telepathic contact, which the doctor has done before. And right. this is this does move the plot along much faster and yes. more and is a very interesting way of informing Craig what he needs to know rather than the the usual, well, see, I'm a time lord from the planet Gallifrey and stuff like that that we've seen yeah. a million times. This is a really creative way to do that, but it's so unique that they'll never use it again. That's right. They, they well, won't for dramatic reasons. It circumvents the whole, like, no, I don't believe you. That's too crazy. Okay, let me show you the TARDIS. He doesn't have the TARDIS to show him, so this is the only, like, this is how they have to, without spending way too much time on it. I, I love the fact that the, the transcript site that I use to, to follow along with the, mm -hmm. with the uh, episode, it refers to it as a Glasgow kiss. I just love Oh, I haven't heard that one. Headbutt is a, that is that is very Scottish. I Doctor's love that. Doctor's doing lots of double kisses in this episode. <laughs> exactly. So uh, while they're headbutting and uh, telepathically, there uh, Sophie shows up and is called. This time she's called upstairs by the little girl, and Craig and the Doctor, who are now working together with because they both have combined knowledge, realize that people are being burnt up by whatever is going on upstairs. Amy, meanwhile, has, at the doctor's urging, looked up the plans for the building oh, and tells before, him— before then, before we yep. get to that point, so the doctor tells Amy that what's happening is someone has built a time engine upstairs. Right. And they're trying to launch it. Every time they get a new person, they attempt a launch. And yes. if they successfully launch it, since it's keeping the TARDIS from landing— in, it will shove the TARDIS irre irretrievably off into the vortex. Right, right, right. And right. the TARDIS will be completely unable to recover. So that's our danger, Yes, is, is Amy and the TARDIS will be lost if this time engine successfully launches. Right. But for some reason, it hasn't, and it keeps trying. And the doctor asks Amy, as part of his really slow-paced research, to look up the... <laughs> upstairs plans and that's when amy tells him that that's there is no upstairs it's a one-story building so yeah. so there's a so there's a perception filter over whatever is up these non-existent stairs so they they see sophie's keys in the door still when they go to to check because they know someone's upstairs about to be burnt up so they realize sophie's up there so they they run upstairs they the Sophie is being dragged by an energy to toward a console in the middle of the room that uh, you know her hand is about to touch it and activate it. They stop her from touching the activation console, and the old man appears as a hologram and asks for help. So the doctor responds, guessing that it's a crashed ship, says, "Hello, I'm Captain Troy Handsome of International Rescue. Please state the nature of your emergency." Which is, I wonder how much of a <laughs> <laughs> reference it is. The emergency crash hologram. He is called. the doctor. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I, I wonder. I, I, I wonder if that's a real reference. Oh, oh, I'm sure because Voyager was in the 90s. Yes. Right. And this is you know 15 years later. So it has to be. It has to. Be. 
Yeah. So here's here's an interesting little Easter egg that I that is referenced, and I didn't notice at the time. I only saw it online when I was looking up information about this episode. He notices the corpse of the supposed original pilot, this this burnt up husk of a corpse, mm-hmm. which seems very tall and only has a few fingers on one hand. He seems concerned, then looks away and and seemingly forgets that it's there. It's never referenced again in the rest of the episode. And both of these traits, the four fingers, I guess it is, not three, and the forgetting when you look away is mm, associated silence. with the silence, which is coming up in the, ne- the beginning of the next season. Mm-hmm. So is this a ship belonging to the silence, perhaps? I wish they would explore this, but they just really drop it. They explain once they see it, we notice there's similarity to TARDIS, to the TARDIS in the design of this thing. Yes. Uh, and it's like, it looks kind of like a TARDIS control room. In fact, it looks kind of like Jodie Whittaker's TARDIS control room. <laughs> it does. But he says someone was trying to build a TARDIS here, and right. they ne- which is a great fascinating concept i want more about that and they never why were they yeah Yeah. why were they who and why so another connection is in in the silence layer that river song discovers underneath the warehouse in in impossible astronaut day day the moon where her younger self is the center console in that room resembles the interior of this ship as well so this they've they made some explicit connections and then the doctor will later find a similar ship to the one featured here and notes that it, it was very Aikman Road, again, mm-hmm. looks very much like this. So they intended to make these connections, apparently, but yeah, but they never really like, followed up like, on it. Like Stephen Moffat tends to do, they rush the endings and end up not paying off stuff. <laughs> yes. So it turns out that the ship is looking for a suitable pilot. Oh, which, where have we seen that before? Or where do we see that actually later? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. With past, future, I get them mixed up, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, a wet heather. In the episode, the pilot with the Mm -hmm. the 12th Doctor and Bill. Yes. uh, So it determines that the Doctor is the new, should be the new pilot. um, But it's specifically, and and I like, you know, how Craig notes, I've been in your head. I know you have wanderlust. Right. Of course, it's going to want you. And and we learned the reason that the ship hasn't been able to take off. It not needs not just a pilot, but it needs a pilot that wants to go. And that that wants to travel at least, and yeah. that has a certain level of brain power, right? And it's been burning through human brains, and it's like, yeah, six pilots have been tried and were inadequate, but there are six billion left. So right. it's going to burn through as many people as it needs to in order to find a suitable pilot. It's going to, in the doctor's estimation, kill every human on the planet because it needs a better than human brain. Well, guess what? The doctor has a better than human brain and wanderlust, so yes. he's going to be the new pilot. And just because we've got to outrageously hype the stakes, yes, as we've, if Amy and the be losing Amy and the TARDIS forever is not enough. If the thing is able to rope the doctor into being the new pilot and touch the panel, then. In the doctor's words, the planet doesn't blow up. The whole solar system does. Yes. It's like, come on, losing Amy and the TARDIS is more than enough drama. Yes, that's the stakes are already high enough. You don't have to ramp it up even more. So this is where the doctor figures out that the machine didn't want Craig because it only wants people who want to leave. So so Craig can shut it down. He is Mr. Sofa Man. Yes, that's right. He doesn't want to go anywhere. 
starting to look like the sofa. So, uh, so Craig can shut it down by putting his hand on the panel first and concentrating on why he wants to stay. When he says Sophie, she does. She puts her hand on top of his, and apparently, kissing the girl is vital to stopping the time machine too. Because like, kiss well, the girl, kiss her. It, it will. <laughs> it does. It will really dramatically, ex- emotionally express their desire to stay. Yes, exactly. But uh, that puts the time engine through an emergency shutdown, and it's about to implode, of course. And they run outside just in time to see the perception filter stop, and then the top floor vanish as the time ship implodes on itself uh, into the perhaps into the uh, uh, vortex, uh, like the TARDIS was going to. But um, and nobody else notices. Yeah, and now that it's gone, it's not out. It's not under the TARDIS keeping it from landing anymore in the fourth dimensional time stack. So now the TARDIS can land. Right. So, uh, in our resolution, the doctor tries to sneak out, leave quietly, but Craig stops him and uh, tells him, I, you know, I want you to keep the keys, even though I, I don't, you know, he doesn't think he'll be back, which he will. Craig and Sophie uh, will be back in a later episode. Well, Craig um, will. Oh, that's, well, Cr- Sophie, I it's, think she's in, like, Craig, one scene. Is she? I don't, I don't remember her from that episode. I just remember Craig and Stormageddon. Yes. I think she leaves in the beginning, like, she's leaving uh, Stormageddon with Craig. Mm-hmm. As 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 she goes, yes, she doesn't get much in that that episode. I love Storm which is a pity because I really like her. Yeah, I do too. I think she. I think she makes a great counterpoint to Craig. I, I, yeah, I really like that. So the we as the Doctor leaves the apartment, we see that the crack in the universe that we keep seeing in every episode is now behind the refrigerator. That's where it was, the fridge and the trash. And back on the TARDIS, the Doctor tells Amy that she has to write this note that he's that's going to send him to Craig's apartment. Um, so they get to go back in time, leave the note for the doctor to find. And she's like, Oh, I need a pen. Oh, uh, there's a red pen in my jacket. And she goes rooting around in his jacket and finds her engagement ring from Rory, which causes something to happen to the crack in the wall. Cause remember it was vital that Amy remember Rory. Yeah. And she couldn't because she got distracted and the way I interpreted it, the causal error went the other way around. And because the crack in the wall is opening, that's re-triggering her memories of Rory or a feeling that she's connected yeah. with this ring somehow, even though she doesn't consciously remember Rory yet, but she's starting to. Okay. Or or even that she remembers the crack or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. At first, when I first saw this, I thought she was going to. Th- it was going to. Uh, this comedic comedy was going to ensue about Amy thinking the ring was for her from the doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that's where they were going to go with it, but I, I'm glad they didn't do that. But uh, yeah, because uh, uh, this leads into it, it leads into Rory coming back, right? And and that's how I took it because it's played dramatically, and it's like this is something ominous and mysterious and so forth. It, whereas it would have been comedic if she had the music would be different if they were going to go with she thinks this is the doctor wanting to propose to her right right and and that's where we're going with like after this like the next uh, two episodes of this season Rory's back yeah pandorica opens and gosh what was the one after the The big bang the big bang yeah i mean the the two very big episodes season finale so it's uh it's interesting that this is the sort of the penultimate story Mm -hmm to this season. And notice how we have this emotional arc over these over these episodes. I mean, we had early on in the season, we had this arc with Amy 
and what's her deal and how is she progressing? And then we got a rope and she she makes a pass at the doctor and then the doctor has to bring Rory into it. And we have this arc with Rory and getting Amy to choose to the point where Amy chooses Rory over the doctor, doesn't want to live without him. That's on track. And then wham, Rory is gone. Right. And she can't remember him. And then in the absence of Rory, we have this grieving episode with Vincent and the doctor. Yep. You know, where she's subconsciously grieving for Rory, even though she doesn't know it. And then in this episode, we, the audience, after the grieving episode, that even though it was bittersweet, it was a sad episode, now we have a comedy episode to take the edge off. Before yep. we go into the super dramatic two-part finale. And so this right. is very clever emotional pacing from Stephen Moffat. Whether you like all of the individual choices or not, this is well put together from a writing perspective. And the, the emotional yeah. beats that we're hitting in this sequence. Yeah, by by sort of uh, moving the, the, those, uh, the tough emotions apart, it doesn't turn the, uh, the season ending into this big... Like, uh, d- down, down, heavy. It's not Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yes, which is just unrelenting, you know, boom, 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 or Game of Thrones unrelenting from start to finish. Uh, this this has those up moments, and I, I do appreciate them giving us that space of the larger in-between. And it kind of makes sense why then you would have Amy sort of shunted aside for the moment, because you want to put her story on hold. Like, from mm-hmm. v- Van Gogh to Pandorica, is a there's a natural progression there, but you've got to put her on hold and not because you'd have to have some sort of development or something if she was much more involved. So I like yeah. the fact that they did that. All right. So any final thoughts on this episode? Nope, I liked it. Yep, uh, one of my favorites. I, I, I mean, between Van Gogh and this one, two great episodes in a row. I think this really cemented for me my enjoyment of the Eleventh Doctor. Uh, like the like the, the end of this season really cemented my enjoyment of the Eleventh Doctor and. And Moffat, frankly, as for all his for all his flaws, I just I really enjoyed so many of these episodes. I think one thing that's true of Moffat is true of a lot of writers. They they do great build up and have hard times paying things off. Yeah. And we're still in the build up phase, so we're not to the payoff phase yet. That's when it gets really problematic. Right. That's right. That's right. So uh, I think we should wrap things up there. Uh, we'll yeah. take a moment. To thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including this time Kenya S., George S., Sandra W., Timothy V., and Lewis M., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Lodger? Uh, let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, Pyramids of Mars, when the Doctor moves in with the Brigadier. I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest, and remember... Hello, I'm Captain Troy Hansen of International Rescue. Please state the nature of your emergency. Right. This is going to be fun.